listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 97. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Eric Leslie, resilience trainer and founder of SatiMind, to talk about the importance of resilience and mindfulness training. Eric has trained athletes, coaches, the military, healthcare professionals, hospitals, and corporations. In this interview, he shares how to be more present and how the breath can lead us to a more purposeful life. Hey, Eric, how are you? Hey, Grant, I'm great. Awesome, man. Well, I know we just spent uh, probably the last uh, 15, 20 minutes just uh, hitting the ball back and forth, talking about some cool stuff and, you know, mental performance within sport. And uh, so I'm really excited to, to learn a little bit more about what you do with your clients as a resilience tra- trainer, but just understand more how you go about training athletes and soldiers and corporate citizens and learning more about your company, Satiman. So I'm really, really happy to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Grant. I'm really happy to be on the show. Beautiful. So let's get into mental toughness. It's one of my favorite topics. So when you think about mental toughness, what does mentally tough mean to you? Yeah, uh, well, it can mean a lot of different things. I think for me, it, it really means persistence. It means going at your goals, and at times you may have to be vulnerable, you may, you may fail, but you put your best foot out there, and then you'll do it again the next week, the next day. And so it really is about, and you know, I, I, Oregon had a great saying of, of win the day, and it's about trying to win the day. It's about having the courage to make really small changes, because people think that big changes are what needs to happen all the time. And maybe that's the case, but you can only really get there with small changes. And so just being mentally tough to be able to persist every time, to have the courage to make uh, some of the better choices to make small changes each and every day, I think is one of the, the big ways to stay mentally tough. Awesome. You know, it's uh, I like how you say courage. I think uh, when we have enough courage or vulnerability in situations, uh, it allows us to be mentally tough. And so that that's super cool. And I think if we can do that, it will allow us to show up, you know, like you said, from time, you know, from the next game to the next week to the next month, and we're just showing up in, in the present moment. So, uh, so thanks for sharing that. Now, yeah. when you think about, and I know you played baseball and football, um, when you can go back to your career as an athlete, can you share a, a specific time where you had to be mentally tough? Yeah, well, anytime after a loss, I think you have to be tough, um, you know, especially if it's an emotional loss or, or a tough loss, um, you have to be really tough. In, in you know, injuries, I was lucky in um, a lot of my um, high school career. I didn't have a lot of injuries, but I did have one where um, I broke my bone in my right hand. I actually threw for um, almost a thousand yards on a broken wrist my sophomore year. And so that took some toughness and you would think, okay, the mental toughness was, you know, playing on a broken wrist, but really the mental toughness was coming back that next season in baseball after you, you know, you're not being able to throw as well as you were before and just trying to bounce back after an injury. And so that was definitely a time where I had to be more mentally tough. Now, we use this word a lot, uh, I think, in our society now, which is awesome, and I'm, I'm glad that we are being more mindful as a society. And I know that as a resilient resilience trainer, 
you teach mindfulness, and that's one component of, of your teachings. But when you think of mindfulness, because there's, you know, you and I both know what it means, but there's so many different aspects to it. So, like, what what does mindfulness mean to you? Yeah, so I would tell you that that's probably the, the line of research we go into, but um, a lot of it is, first of all, it's just being the present moment. And our society really pushes us to be in the future. And oftentimes when I even talk to uh, clients or, or groups or, or organizations, you'll find that in their language. Oh, well, let me tell you about a story about what happened uh, a week ago. And let me tell you, you know, what we're thinking we want to do in, in several months. And all that's great. I mean, to reflect on the past and, and to plan for the future is very important. But oftentimes we really forget how is that affecting you right now in the moment? And so our culture is constantly pushing something that is away from the present moment and not in the sense of, you know, let's be in the moment and just, you know, have a really good time. That's not, that's not really what we're saying either, but remember that you can learn certain skills to bring you back to the present moment. You know, sometimes our clients, they'll have just some anxiety about what might be coming. And, you know, we have the holidays coming this year and often people are already, you know, in that mode to be celebrating the holidays, even though, you know, right now that's not what's actually occurring. And so having different ways to bring yourself back to the present moment, not be anxious about what's moving forward. And so just presence, you know, just being here right now and being able to, if you get distracted, bring it right back to that present moment. So that's a, that's a big part of it. I would say, uh, you know, a lot of what we help do, and, and I don't even always call it, mindfulness i mean it's it's good to do that sometimes sometimes just breathing with some imagery you know different breathing techniques in order to really bring yourself back to the present moment in order to really be with your body you know i think oftentimes we forget that we have this this great machine called the body and it doesn't matter if you're you know a, a guy that has to get up and go to work every day or do sales or or whatever it might be uh you know you're an athlete maybe you're a police officer your body is one of the greatest things that you have. And so you have to learn to be to take care of it. And oftentimes the quickest things that can affect our body are our thoughts and our emotions. Yeah. And so we have to really be in tune with, with what those are. And so being mindful will really help you be in the present with those, you know, uh, thoughts and emotions and how they affect the body. Right. You know, it's it's interesting. I had a, a gentleman on my show a few weeks ago. His name's James Gallagher. He's a mindfulness trainer. And we were talking about, like, the way he looks at mindfulness versus meditation and breath work. And he was saying it all interconnects, but he goes, I look at it a little bit differently because he's like, when you're doing meditation and breath work, he's like, that's kind of like doing the mental push-ups and the mental bicep curls. It's when you you do that stuff so when you actually get to the point to be mindful, so when you're getting into the batter's box or when you're getting under the center when you're in red zone or at the free throw line, that's where the mindfulness kicks in. But you're doing all the other stuff that's connected with mindfulness to get you prepared for the moment. Oh, man, I couldn't agree more with with, uh, with him. Uh, you know, and so this is why oftentimes – I will refer to it as like going to the gym for your mind. Yeah. And I often say we need a practice of some kind. A lot of times we call it just a resilience practice. You can call it a mindfulness practice as well. Something where you sit down deliberately or intentionally and take some time out of your day. Um, often people will tell me, well, I'm super busy. And I say, well, take two minutes out. So 
because if you're not willing to take two minutes out for yourself, then maybe you're not actually wanting to get better. Maybe you're not actually wanting to perform at your best. And I'm looking for people that, that want to do that. And, um, you know, so take two minutes out, but sometimes five or 10 to really do those. I like it, what you call them push-ups, because what happens is, is two things. You'll remember more in the moment that you have these skills, that you learn these skills. But the other thing is sometimes it just clicks. It's like your brain won't allow you to get overwhelmed in that moment. Your brain won't allow you to focus on anything else than, you know, that free throw in that moment or stepping into the batter's box. Right. I mean, I remember when this really hit me. And uh, when I was younger, I, I played college uh, baseball. And I had started meditating um, at the time. I would call it meditating and call it a resilience practice. Um, at the time, I just knew it as, as some form of meditation. And I didn't think much of it. I definitely didn't think it was going to help me um, with uh, with sports. But it was helping me with the stress at the time. And I had developed it doing it quite consistently pretty much every day for about an hour um you know sometimes maybe it was only 30 minutes but it was pretty consistent for an hour and i was injured that year and i started hitting around uh 400 or 450 on the year uh, which was one of the best that you could hit on the team that year yeah um and i didn't know why because i was i was injured and uh when i looked back at it it was because i had been meditating you know, feelings of striking out would come up, you know, bad, bad thoughts, but I didn't give them as much credence. I didn't give them as much importance. Like, oh yeah, well, if he strikes me out on a really good pitch, you know, maybe he won this at bat, you know, and then, you know, he'd have a really good pitch and I'd still hit it. And sometimes, you know, of course it would drop in for a nice hit and sometimes it wouldn't, but you know, you wouldn't get as frustrated. It was more of this effortless effort. There was some type of flow that you could really get into. Not only, with the meditation, but in life. And I think this is the, one of the huge advantages that these breathing techniques and mindfulness and, and these things can teach. And you can hit some sort of peak performance, but you can also hit some sort of level where you're just super happy with your life. And it may not even matter what the results are in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm huge on energy and I feel like you know, for us to to fuel this mindfulness or this being resilient or our breath, because the, the, to me, the, bra- the the basis of all the work that we do starts with our breath. But I think it, it goes a little bit beyond that. It's uh, it's our energy. So when we're when we're doing meditation and we're we are feeding our our thoughts and our minds with positivity and being in more control, our energy is good. And so. I think it all connects, and there's so many different branches that come off of, of mindfulness and, and resilience training. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you, too. I think there's some really good research starting to come out on the ability to use, you know, your breath is one of the main ways you'd use that energy. And so, you know, using that and, energy, and just managing your energy, you know, over a, a week or over a day, yeah. it becomes really important. So I would totally agree. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about your company. You're you're the founder of Sati Mind, and uh, your website is really cool. I mean, the pictures on it are awesome. Uh, share with my listeners what Sati Mind is all about and why you created this company. Yeah, so we just do resilient skills training for individuals and for teams and organizations. 
And the reason we started it is because we could see a, a great need for some of these skills. Um, there's, there's great, you know, people can go out and if they have, you know, uh, major issues or major psychological issues, you can go out and you can go to a psychologist and they'll, in general, take you from negative seven to zero back to, to neutral. But there isn't really a lot of these psychologists out there that will take you from zero or neutral where you might be doing okay. Maybe you're not happy. You're not performing well. You know, you have anxious, anxious, a little bit of depression. And how do we get you into positive seven? How do we get you thriving? How do we get you really performing well? Maybe it's communication in your relationships. Maybe it's just managing stress a little bit better. Maybe it's actually those things as an athlete to um, you know, really perform at your best, whether that's at work or whether that's, you know, on the field. And so there's not a lot of that out there right now that is uh, really getting noticed. And um, as we were working with soldiers through the last six uh, or seven years at this point, um, we really, the hospitals and health clinics really started to reach out to us. And we found that um, uh, a lot of health um, care doesn't have the greatest culture. I didn't know this but at the time. Um, uh, so much so that like they wouldn't allow their employees to even go to the bathroom at times, or maybe that was at least frowned upon in this uh, organization. And uh, most doctors, um, I think it's 54% was the last stat I saw, um, are burnt out, absolutely burnt out. A lot of them are leaving their careers after 10 years. I mean, you go to school longer than they're being in their professions at this point. And so we have a problem with burnout. We have a problem with um, a lot of these, you know, too much stress in this environment. And I mean, I, in some ways, I don't blame them. If somebody, you know, uh, I had a doctor look at me and said, well, how do you, you know, move on when, you know, somebody dies there on the table and maybe you were responsible for it and we're forced to go right on to the next person within, you know, several minutes. And uh, those are those are tough questions that you have to you know get into with some of these clients. And so we really saw a need for this in multiple different areas. And uh, where we could have focused on just healthcare, I think more and more people need this on a larger scale. And so we were hoping to um, you know really help people of multiple different backgrounds. You know that's a, it's a real topic, uh, especially in that profession. I actually I spoke to a doctor not too long ago. And, and he shared the same thing, like, you know, how do you, how do you, when you have something traumatic like that, because, uh, you know, surgery is not perfect. I mean, we've, we've come a long way as a society and as, um, you know, in the, in the healthcare and medical field, but, you know, but people do die and you have to live with that and you have to move on to the next client and you have to be as sound as possible. But also the doctor said, you know, we as doctors are stressed, not only comes from that, but we get stressed because we might get sued and we wake up with being with maybe not having our practice someday or or my reputation is um, destroyed just because of something went wrong in the surgery. So there's a lot of there's a lot of this uh, stress and anxiety that gets built up. And and these and these prof professionals, they need to be mentally sound, emotionally sound. They need to. So they um, like you said, the, the culture it's interesting that the, that percentage of um, what you said. I, I think we we need we need to invest more time into the medical and healthcare field so people can be more sound. Yeah, I was um, 
at a meeting um, where a bunch of doctors um, and heads of organizations were getting together. And, and it was really around uh, here in Austin, they have uh, Dell's uh, Children's Hospital and they have a resiliency center. And the only reason they have a resiliency center is there was some gentleman that said, what are you doing to take care of your staff? And they looked at him and they said, excuse me, what do you mean? He said, well, if you're not taking care of your staff here, how are they really taking care of your, you know, the people that are coming in? And so he gave them a large sum of money and they started a resiliency center. And um, I remember somebody had looked over um, a, a really great lady. She was actually a reverend, started this. And I thought it was weird that she was a reverend because I was thinking to myself, why, why you know, I guess that's a, a good profession to maybe go into. But sports psychology has the advantage over this in a lot of ways because, you know, we're out asking these same questions, you know, with soldiers in the field, you know, what happens if, you know, uh, in battle, if, if something happens or what happens, uh, you know, uh, if somebody, you know, gets taken out, we have half our crew out, they have to operate under some really stressful, um, you know, situations and and similar to, to doctors. And I thought she was trying to answer one of the questions the participant had about, um, these transitions and, and some of the challenges doctors face. And I thought, man, this is, this is such an advantage that, you know, sports psychology has to be able to, to help people with these types of problems. And I thought, you know, this is what more and more people need to have access to this type of uh, care. Yeah. You know, I, I know you've done a lot of work with the military and you've worked with a lot of soldiers on this type of training, but when you think of, a soldier, a warrior, because I feel like when I'm working with, I don't care what the gender is, I don't care what the the sport is, we're all warriors, even like in the workplace, because we're all competing. So I think if we're competing yeah. for anything or performing, we're we're warriors, and and so and and I say that from a, a positive standpoint, not that there's a negative connotation to it, but I just treat everybody as a warrior. So when you think of a soldier versus an athlete, you would, you know, there is definitely. A, uh, translation or correlation between the two, but when you think of what a soldier has to deal with fear versus in the fear of an athlete, right, or the type of pressure that a soldier has to deal with versus just the pressure that an athlete has to deal with, what's, and from your perspective, what is the difference from a soldier to an athlete with those things, and, and how do you actually, how do you go about teaching uh, a soldier to have a, a better relationship with pressure and fear? Yeah, so um, it's kind of a two-part question. Yeah. We'll take the, the first part. We'll take the first one uh, here, which is, um, you know, is there a difference between a soldier and an athlete? And I think the major difference is an athlete has, you know, maybe a three, four-hour, you know, maybe a little longer, but not too much of a, of a performance that happens, right? There's a game, and it's going to go on for typically three or four hours, maybe five if they went into overtime or something, and they know what time that's going to be for the most part. Now, there's certain challenges around there like, you know, rain delays or weather delays or whatever, but for the most part, that's what happens. And a soldier is different in some ways because from the minute they wake up, usually before, you know, six o'clock because they needed to be at formation at six o'clock a lot of times in the army um then they don't know exactly what their day may hold and they may be up till you know 11 or 12 at night and that's a long time to manage your energy over that amount of time you don't know what might come up you know did your did your did your buddy uh report to work that day you know what kind of um 
you know, maybe you had a superior come down on you really hard and it was your fault or wasn't your fault. You know, maybe you had some other complex things going on uh, with vehicles or whatever it might be. And so that in itself, just managing that energy and not taxing yourself too much throughout the day, that's one of the big differences right away. So so knowing that moving into um, that life. But I, I think there is a, a slightly different pressure. It's a slightly different fear. But we handle it very similar. First of all, you have to develop some self-awareness skills, whether you're that athlete or whether you're that soldier. And so you can find out what thoughts or emotions are, are coming into the body. Because if there is a lot of fear, and some soldiers, you know, they might not experience a ton of fear. But you still want to train them for if that does happen because you don't want that to overtake them. And, and the same as an athlete, but you want them to be able to recognize it and be able to use it or be able to just watch it as it comes up and this is a kind of dissipates over time. And so the process is actually very similar if we were to, you know, train a soldier or an athlete, at least in that regard, um, as far as fear and the pressure, um, because you want them in the present moment focused on what's important now. And so it's just teaching them to be able to do that regardless of, you know, the situation. Yeah. The wind mindset. What's important now? I love it. I love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Th- thanks for sharing that. I, I, I think when we think of we, cause we hear about, you know, pressure and anxiety and fear and, um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I always want to think of fear. I remember talking, having this conversation with my mentor, this is years ago. And I was telling him, you know, I was sharing, I was just being vulnerable and sharing about some fear that was showing up for me. And he goes, you know, and it's so funny the way he did it. He was like, well, hold on a second. Are, are you in danger? Like, and he says it with like, are you in danger? No. Then what are you fearful about? Like, is your life at risk? I'm like, no. He goes, what are you fearful at? I'm like, well, because of this, this, that. Lean into it. Get get it done. Yeah. Like, you have the ability, you have the tools, you can get it done. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I, I get what he was saying. But that's why I wanted to ask you the difference because there's there's the fear of dying, that's a real threat. Like because we think about fear sometimes, you know, fear is actually something that we create. We create that fear, but sometimes when your life is literally, I mean, it's one thing fear fearful of failing, you know, fearful of throwing an interception. Completely different from actually having bullets, you know, shot at you and 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 having the fear of death. Yeah, but you still have to, you know it's managed in a, in a similar way. Right. And so, um, obviously you have to use the fear. The fear is there for a reason, but oftentimes it's also, you know, um, you know, if it's a fear of interception or, or, or whatnot, that could, that could be just self-limiting, you know, beliefs or thoughts that we need to move through. And I think it's important for us to lean into our fear, like you were saying, but also move through them because they're usually imaginary. Now, if you have bullets flying at you <laughs> and that fear, that's a little different, right. but you're going to need to manage it in a very similar way. Uh, a lot of times that fear can throw you right into a flow state of some kind. And so I, I really like to talk about that and how, okay, you really have to lean, you're still leaning into it and immersing yourself in there. I mean, if bullets are flying at you, better to be one of the better shooters in this situation and to time your, you know, uh, your shots really well than to do anything. And, uh, I would think then the odds that you survive that are going to, are going to go up. And so you're still really managing that fear very similar and pressure is the same way. I mean, oftentimes where does that pressure come from? 
And even if you think it's coming from the outside world, I like to challenge people on that. You know, is it? What's the worst part of this? You know, is it, if there's a deadline, there's always deadlines. And so why, you know, is it still the pressure you're putting on yourself? And maybe that some of that pressure and that stress is really actually good for you. You know, oftentimes we don't think about that. You know, what this stress can actually, you know, be really good. And, you know, I've been talking to people about stress around the holidays and oftentimes they're so stressed because they want the holidays to go so well. Well, that's right. actually kind of good. That can be really fueling if we look at it that way. Totally. So, you know, pressure and stress, where, where are these coming from? Fear, where is that coming from? You know, well, I, I love, mostly inside of us. I love when you talk about, uh, you know, fear. It's one thing to lean into it, but you got to move through it, which I think is, is crucial. And so that's awesome. And, I, and when I'm working with people all the time, and I know this is exactly what you're saying with pressure, we've got to reframe pressure because it comes it does come from within and do and, and more often than not when i'm asking like younger athletes at the high school level and even in the youth at the youth level when i ask them what is their relationship with pressure is it positive or negative most of the time i'd say 90 95% of the time they say it's negative or it can be both and so i i i allow them to put on a different lens or maybe look at it differently so they can have a different relationship with with pressure like why does it have to be negative why why can't why can it be a privilege why you know when you look at diamonds diamonds are made out of by pressure so let's be diamonds let's shine yeah. bright through this this pressurized you know situation so i i agree with you I, I think it's awesome that we just need to teach people how to have a different relationship with pressure yeah that's one of the powerful things i love about you know mindfulness and breathing it's because we can start to develop a different perspective to some of these things, uh, thoughts, fears, pressures, even beliefs. And that different perspective then shines out of you. It's not me telling you yeah. what you should think or how you should think. I mean, that would be a, an easier job in some ways, but you have to discover that within yourself and really understanding that there's an outside world, but there's that inner world and you have a lot of control over that inner world. And once you start to develop that, you can be good in multiple different areas of your life. And I think that that's some skill that I would love more and more people to start to, to learn and find out. And even myself, I've been doing this for a long time. I still think we're just still scratching the surface in some of these areas. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think we're heading in the right direction. We're not where I think we should be um, as a society, but I think we're... I think we're building a lot of um, conscious thought around this this type of practice and this way of living. So um, I think you and I are both fighting a good fight on it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so I agree. Totally. I agree with you. Now, one more question before we uh, sign off here. Um, when you actually reflect on your whole career doing this type of work, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Man, you know, I think that one of the greatest things that – I get to learn is that I get to, to teach these things and just remind myself, you know, to use them myself, but then also in my clients. And I mean, I think that sometimes if you're the facilitator, you're the, you know, the coach or whatever, um, you know, I really want, you know, my clients to, to be talking and gain their perspective, but so many times, and a lot of times I share this with them, so that I don't always, but um, they're teaching me. And I love the fact that they get to reflect back, what I'm, what they're teaching me, you know, they get to go use a technique and then they get to report back how, how it went. 
And just because if it, if it went good or bad, that doesn't matter. That's just information that we can continue to use as we go down the line. And so, so much of what I have come to today and my philosophies and the, and the things that I would teach people, they came from the students and clients, you know, over years of themselves refining this work. And so that is something special that I get to, to take with me. It's one of the, the reasons I really love to, to do some of this work is because, you know, it challenges me and I get to grow as well. So, yeah. Yeah, man, that that's beautiful. I, I, I learned tons from my clients and about myself. And what I love about this work is, and I feel that if we're in this work, we've got to be our work. So if I'm teaching somebody how to visualize and create mantras and get into their breath and be intentional, you know, I have to do it too. So the more that I'm actually connected with my with my work and learning from my clients and their experiences, it's just it's a it's just a joyful ride. It's a joyful uh, experience and journey that I've been on. So I I absolutely uh, I think that's an awesome answer. Um, where do my listeners, how do they follow you on social media? Where can they learn more about your company? Yeah, so uh, we're on Facebook. You can go to, um, well, I have a group called The Resilient Mind. I have a Facebook page called Sati Mind. Um, that's S-A-T-I-M-I-N-D. And then uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, um, on all those types of things. So they can go there. I mean, the website is something great where they can see events or, um, you know, the services or get involved in, in what we got going on. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, Eric, man, I wish I had more time with you. Uh, I know you have so much more to share on this uh, on this topic. And and I just want to thank you for your energy. And, and thank you for the work that you're doing with uh, athletes and, and professionals in the workplace and also with soldiers, man. So thank you again for being on my show. I appreciate that, Grant. Thank you. I, I think you're fighting the good fight, too, and I appreciate all your work as well.